Hi, my name is Panta Kalhor and you're listening to Transition by Panta Kalhor Podcast. I created this platform to help you grow and move forward easier through your transition, whether in parenthood, job transition, healing journey, or starting a brand new life. Episode 118 PTSD Self-Healing Show. You, me, and PTSD, the intruder in my marriage with Sajel Bellone, psychotherapist, professor, and speaker. Please subscribe to Panta Kalhor Transition Channel and order my book, Moons of Change for the Better. Tune up your mood and transform your life to reach your biggest dreams. What an honor! Finally, I could find her, Sajal Belen, and I'm so happy to have you here. Welcome to my show. Uh, we, it, it took some time I found her, and I was really interested to what she's doing, and hopefully all of you can enjoy our talk today. Today, we're going to talk about you and me and PTSD, the intruder in my marriage, I mean, Sagal marriage, and she's a professor and psychotherapist and also TEDx speaker. So welcome to my show, Sagal. Thank you, Pente. It's so lovely to, to be here with you and hopefully share some really great insights for your audience. Thank you so much. Uh, so, Sajal, uh, tell me about yourself. First of all, I know you have a great story at the back. I already read your bio, uh, but I want you to talk about it with my audience. First, what did you do? I know as a psychotherapist, uh, is different when you are um, facing with trauma because uh, all of us have trauma in our life. There is no exception, everybody. But the way we are um, facing the trauma is different. As a psychotherapist, I really wish you know what you did and what was your story. So I agree with you in that, you know, we are all prone to being exposed to trauma, to feeling trauma, and all of us will experience it differently. And mm -hmm. what is one person's trauma is not necessarily another's. It's a very subjective experience. Um, and I'm no different, right? Because it's it's a human thing. So it doesn't matter if you're a psychologist, a psychotherapist, a hockey player, a soccer mom, um, any of us, it's a human thing. So um, what difference did it make? Uh, actually, our journey started with PTSD started before I was a psychotherapist, but I was always somebody who was heavily involved in psychology and had a career path and education based in psychology. So uh, specifically positive psychology as well. So I feel like I had some resources already and some, some tools that I could fall back on that were helpful in navigating it. And then once we kind of were going through the PTSD and I was on this journey with my doctorate and everything else, um, 
it just was very, very natural that it became sort of at the core of what I do. Because now I was marrying all my worlds, my professional life, my personal life, uh, those experience, the expertise, everything. And it's just evolved to have so much more meaning. And, you know, that's where Mind Armor was born. Um, and then SOS after that. So it's really given me a trajectory in my life. So tell me about your own story, especially about the marriage. You say my marriage. <laughs> so that's why I just want to know what happened to you and why uh, did you become a psychotherapist? So uh, basically, as I said, I was always in the path uh, of mental health. I've always been a mental health practitioner. And uh, my husband is a first responder. He's a firefighter. And you know, just like any young married couple, you know, went through our challenges, experiencing life. And, uh, you know, years later, you know, as the years kind of went on, I noticed that there was something different. There was a distance starting to come between us. There was a disconnection. I wasn't as happy as I used to be. Um, we weren't gelling together all the time or not as much as we used to, which was very different for, for our relationship. And I just noticed that things were kind of just not going in the right direction. And that's sort of where I had to kind of make some decisions as to what did I want to do with this? Because now we had evolved, we had a family, I had, I have a career. There's all these different things coming into place. So many compounding factors. And it, it really came to a head. And that's what my TEDx story is about. Um, with, so I go into that with greater detail as to what uh, those moments looked like for us as a family. Because that's where, again, Mind Armor was born is that we, we understood that we didn't want any other families first responder families, especially to be going through this because first responders are exposed to far more trauma through their work than the general public. So the there's a cumulative trauma. There is greater times of exposure, greater intensity of exposure, less healing time, less recognition as to what's happening even because it's part of the job. Right. And then we forget that they take this home. And then what does home look like? And I can tell you as a first responder wife, our home operates different than a regular family. The culture is a little bit different. There's different challenges we face. There's different amazing things that we get to do, you know, like, but it's different. And post-traumatic stress is inevitable. I'm not saying that PTSD is inevitable. I'm saying post-traumatic stress is inevitable for a first responder family because anyone that is exposed, repeatedly exposed to trauma is going to exhibit some PTS symptoms or reactions, right? Reactions to the stress and the trauma. And if we don't recognize them as the spouse or family, that's where 
PTSD or PTSI, the post-traumatic stress injury can start to set in. The post-traumatic stress disorder can set in because again, it, it happens over time generally, um, at least in the first responder community. So that's gaining that inside view and recognizing that gap in that com specific community as a professor, you know, I started to tell uh, the institutions that were training new recruits, we need to recognize that there's mental health components here, training that's needed, right? We're training them with technical skills. We're training them with physical skills. We need to be training psychological skills. And that's when um, when I actually started my, did my TED talk and started speaking more for departments and different organizations, leaders and chiefs were coming up to me going, oh, you really get this. Like you understand it. You know how to put it into the language that people are going to get it and, and make use of this information. And so that's when they started asking, like, can we come to see you one-on-one? -on -one? And that's where SOS was born. And that's where, that's where I decided to to serve both, not only the organization and departments as a whole, but now I can also serve the individual and the family. And that actually really works with the mindset and the framework that Mind Armor is about, because it's about the systems. We as individuals, we live in a family system, we live in a work system, and we need continuity in terms of our how we're gonna handle our mental health, the way we talk, about mental health. So that's the whole idea is that we're creating systems that we live in at all levels so that we experience mental health in a different way. Mm -hmm. And part of that is getting rid of that stigma. And that's part of the mission as well. Yeah, I like that. Actually, I was thinking um, it's not only firefighters. There are lots of first responders uh, who are always working in a stress job, like people who are working in emergency. Yes. It's always a stress, a stress. And the handling, handling this stress is not only by them, but also they bring it with their family. To their family. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, uh, Pantea, it, it's so, I'm so glad you raised that point because the pandemic, like I said, has ch changed, has broadened that whole trajectory that we were on and, and the community that we were focusing on. It's no longer just first responders. It's broadened to a variety of sectors, including education, including uh, just regular businesses, like and trying to pivot with all this change and uncertainty and you know again you can't even have a common cold right now and go to work without it turning into something or people looking at you or getting upset that you're there so there's a whole this is this pandemic has opened a barrage of new stresses that none of us can ignore anymore and so that's what the last year and a half has been for me, has been pivoting and trying to be responsive to the growing need for us to address stress, for us to address mental health, for us to have the tools and techniques and to make it accessible to more people so that we minimize the suffering and really start to build people's resilience but also their ability to grow from these inevitable challenges. This is not going to be the last pandemic. 
I think there's going to be a lot more problems and a lot more issues and challenges that we will continue to face. But we have a choice here. This pandemic has forced us to look at mental health, look at health in general, and our systems that we operate in, in new ways. So this is the time for that innovation to happen and for us to adapt and modify and put new systems in place, better systems, better ways of doing things so that we can respond better to the challenges that are coming. Exactly. That was the big awareness for all of us. Uh, and many people adapt to these challenges as, a, as I am, as a, as a mom <laughs> who have to... I have to take care of my three-year-old baby and she doesn't go to daycare right now and I have my own job at home doing all the chores for like as, as housewife. It's, it's not easy for everybody. But what I really, what I really understand during this time, everybody needs some distraction, good distraction. That's what I'm doing with my PTSD self-healing show and other podcasts and show because um, during this time, I really realized we need this kind of discussion because as you say, pandemic is for everybody and uh, we lose a lot of people because of COVID mm -hmm. and uh, we are still, there are lots of fears in spite of having these vaccines, still there are lots of uh, uncertainty, um, uncertain situation that we, we have to face. So uh, let's get back to some um, some other discussion about the triggers. What do you suggest uh, to families who have people inside i mean you have your loved one inside the family who has ptsd how can you help them when they are triggered with their ptsd uh one of the th <laughs> that's a really loaded question because there's a lot of pieces to that um what so the triggers generally catch us off guard Right. So it kind of when when a trigger happens, it catches the person who's suffering from PTS, but then their response or reaction to the trigger is often unexpected. I know many of you out there will be able to relate to this story where the person it feels like or we feel like the person's going from zero to 100. And there, and in seconds, there was no in between. And we often find ourselves like, what just happened? Like, why is that person reacting like that intensely? It's this small a problem and they're getting this big about it. Um, so the first, one of the first things I did when I discovered that it was in fact PTS that we were dealing with was I needed to make sure that our home was a safe place a safe place for my husband so that he knew that he could make mistakes and that he's still going to be loved and he's still going to get those do-overs and that we understand that this is something that's happened to him and it's not 
him that's doing it to us. Because otherwise the member will often feel like they are guilty and that they are burdening or harming the family. And we wanna take those things off the table. We need to make it a, a safe place for them. The other piece is how do you explain it to children? Like all they see is mom and dad fighting or mom and dad getting really angry. And my children were really young at the time that this was happening. And so I had to create a language for them to be able to communicate, to be able to understand, and for us to communicate with them so they understood. So one of the tools that we did, and hopefully this is helpful to some of you out there with young children, is use a scaling question. Often people with PTS will wake up at the, in the morning hypervigilant already. So they have a very small window of tolerance or buffer before they'll go from zero to 100. So what we did was create a scale of one to 10. And daddy would need to tell us when he's at a six, seven, or eight. Because if he's at a six, seven, or eight, that means we need to give him some space or he needs to go and spend some time on his own and get grounded or that we should maybe try to be quiet and not so overstimulated. Uh, but it gave us a, a sort of understanding and awareness of where he's at. And what that also did was allow him the space to do what he needs to do during that period of time. Because when we know that there's PTS in the family, it doesn't give license to the person who has PTS to go from zero to 100 every time, right? They need to have some accountability and some responsibility. So by creating the scale of one to 10 and being able to identify and articulate to your family and to yourself as to where you are, you're becoming more aware of what the buildup feels like. You're slowing it down. You're becoming more conscientious as to what's happening in my body, what's happening in my mind, what is triggering me. And all of a sudden that gives you a little bit of more of a sense of control and you're able to communicate it to your family so they can support you in keeping the environment the way that you need it. And what happens is it minimizes then the chances of getting to that nine or 10 where it's going to be explosive, which minimizes the residual effects of guilt and shame and hurt and all the other things that come from when things feel like they're out of control. So really creating a common language, creating um, a simple scaling system like that gave us the capacity to communicate to each other. And it also relieved my husband from having to give us a long-winded explanation every time he needed space. Like, here's the thing, make it easy. All he had to say was, I'm at an I like that, especially about men, because right? they don't want to talk about their problems. Yeah, so don't make it difficult. Like, just make it easy. I'm at an eight, which means go do what you got to do, man. I, I like you got that. space, right? Like um, and, and what was really neat was this tool then not only was being used by my husband, but my six-year-old would be able to come to me and say, I'm at a seven, mom. And I was like, wow, tell me about that. 
right? Or what do you need? All of a sudden, he started to get the vocabulary to be able to talk about his feelings and where he was at. And then it gave us an opportunity to say, well, how can we support you? What do you need? And so now we're in an environment, you know, six, seven, eight years later, where my kids are talking about what they're feeling, questioning, uh, letting us know, and vice versa. They know mom and dad are human. I still get upset, you know, and I know what my limits are. And we've just come up with little tools like that, like even positive trigger words. Triggers aren't always negative. We can make positive ones. I love this. I love this. I, I really wish to continue. We're going to have a few second break and come back again. Please subscribe to Panta Calhoun Transition Channel and order my book, Moons of Change for the Better. Tune up your mood and transform your life to reach your biggest dreams. You know, I was uh, talking uh, to one of uh, my interviews and uh, she was a caregiver for her husband. And that's interesting what you said, because uh, she, she said, I really wanted to help him. But sometimes being quiet is much better than just pushing someone to talk, especially for men. That's what I realized. You know, I, I don't, I'm, I'm a believer that we shouldn't be pushing anybody to talk. Exactly, exactly. Because yeah. sometimes even me, like I'm so tired, I don't want to talk about anything around me. Yeah, but Pantea, just because you're tired doesn't mean you don't want to be supported or held yes, but or someone have someone wanna, sitting behind. Yeah, exactly. You want to, the, the support you need, it's being quiet. I just yeah. want to take a rest. That's it. Sure. I have, uh, we have some audience. Uh, is the hard Jamil <laughs> looking fab? And yeah, hello everybody. And uh, we are continuing with Sajil. She's a professor, TEDx, uh, TEDx speaker and psychotherapist. Again, I'm so happy to have her because we are talking about very uh, great techniques uh, to battle with uh, PTSD and how we can deal with people who are around us and have PTSD. So, uh, Sajil, tell me about your work, what you're doing exactly. Yeah, yes, you told me about SOS, that um, you uh, help, like you said, a strategic individual and you support families. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to know more about what you're doing and what you have on your website, any freebies, anything Sure. Um, so basically, Mind Armor is the the mission of Mind Armor is to essentially revolutionize the way that we perceive and live mental health. You know, right now, if you read the definition by the World Health Organization, it talks about normal stressors. It talks about what we do when we're doing things well, and it defines mental health from that perspective. And what Mind Armor and, and what I'm trying to do through Mind Armor is to really create the idea and uh, people to realize that it's not about wellness and illness. 
it's about both. It's about life. And in life, we're going to experience both. And illness doesn't define you. It doesn't, it's not necessarily a lifelong thing. We can go through depression. We can even go through clinical depression and it be a portion or a segment or part of our life. Doesn't mean it's our whole life because there's a lot of things in between that we do. We grow, we learn, we adapt. We are all wired to be resilient. That's how we are physically built. And that's how we're psychologically built. But it's about educating ourselves. It's about putting good practices into place. It's about putting protective factors into place to manage and handle those challenges. And if you were to think about yourself kind of going through this flow of life, right? We're constantly moving. Time doesn't stand still. Well, neither does our experience with mental health. We can look at every opportunity, whether it's an up, whether it's a down, and, and look at that as our ways of learning and evolving and growing. And I truly believe that even this experience within my own family with PTSD, my husband no longer qualifies under that clinical definition. Does he still have post-traumatic symptoms? Yes. Does he manage them? Yes. Does he have bad days? Absolutely. Does he have good ones? Yes. And it's become a part of our life. We've adapted. There was a time and place where I thought that my marriage was over. And I realized that it wasn't because I didn't love the man any less. But I, I recognized again that PTSD was something that happened to him. And I wanted him to understand that that's not his diagnosis and it hasn't paralyzed him for life. It's not a label. He is able to help himself to heal, to grow from it and experience post-traumatic growth instead. And he's emerged the most wonderful human being that I could ever have imagined to be married to. He's an amazing father. He's an amazing husband. Do we still have our challenges and fights? Absolutely. You've got two alphas in this house. However, we've learned the skill sets to fight better, which means they don't last as long. They don't... Um, get as intense as they used to. We're far more constructive with the way that we disagree, the way that we deal with our challenges. And these are skills that we've adapted and adopted and modified as we went. It's all part of the journey, right? And mental health is a journey. I love this. You know, there is nothing perfect in this world. And when you see in movies, oh, everything is perfect. You know, these are movies. <laughs> in real life, we are human. Sometimes we are not in a good mood. Sometimes we are good. So as a family, because family to me is the most important factor in your life. I mean, that's my, that's my highest priority. Whatever, like career or wealth or whatever comes on, on the category under family. So 
you as a wife need to um, build this family stronger and why not we have to work on this unfortunately there are lots of people don't know about these skills and well yeah yeah, I was going to say, Pantea, what's interesting about what you just said and, and why I felt compelled to interrupt you, and I apologize, no. um, is that, you know, I didn't go through this experience as a psychotherapist. I went through this experience as a wife, as a mother, as Sagel, and it hurt. It hurt all the time because... You know, I was not understanding. There were times where I didn't understand my husband. I didn't recognize my husband. I didn't want to see my children hurting the way they were. I didn't want to see him hurting the way he was. And I was hurting. And I went through it too. I went through a depression. I couldn't get out of bed for two weeks. You know, I went into um, this whole, as soon as I discovered that it was in fact PTSD, I went into like crisis mode um, and what I call, or, or what is called surge capacity. You know, the short term adrenaline kicks in, you go into practical mode, what needs to be done? Let's fix this, let's solve this. And that's what I went into. So I went and I looked for the best psychological care, the you know, some of the best programs out there. I started the research, got him in. You know, he went to the, the recovery program and I went to bed. I could not get out of bed well, for two weeks I and my children you. and my children, I, God bless them, would get out of, get up and just imagine at five, six years old, make their own lunch and then meet me at the door and say, mommy, we're ready to go to school. And I would get up in my pajamas, put them in the car, drive them to school, come back and go back to bed. And I set my alarm for, you know, 2.30 to get up, go pick them up, bring them back home, feed them dinner or whatever, and then go back to bed. That was me for two weeks. I just couldn't function. I was psychologically exhausted. I was depressed. I was, I wasn't functional. And, you know, there's so much stigma around PTSD, no one even either didn't know because I'm normally a very high functioning person or they didn't understand what was happening or the gravity of what was happening. Um, it was very lonely. It was extremely lonely. And again, that sort of informed mm -hmm. me to want to make sure that people don't have to go through that that way. What if we built communities that could speak the same language around mental health. What if we could just call each other Pantea and I could say, you know, I'm going through the one of the worst times in my life. Can you just keep an eye on me? Keep in touch with me because I don't have the strength to pick up the phone today. Exactly. I like that because that's what happened because you had to deal with all the stress yourself and we are human. Even uh, caregivers, even people who are dealing with um, 
psycho who are psychotherapists they need to take a rest they need to take a break i talked to so many of them for my shows and uh, people who have the same issue like you like they have people inside uh, dealing with ptsd at home and uh, <laughs> daughter that's she wants to be on <laughs> no she want to go out She's oh out. okay yeah uh, well and what i heard about that they said the first step is uh, take care of yourself first yes because if you don't love yourself if you are uh, uh, you take don't take care of yourself you cannot definitely be a good caregiver for your family and i'm going to take that a step further it's yes. not even just about self-care it's about self-compassion because the, the the voices in my head were like how come i didn't see it sooner why didn't i do something about it i'm a therapist i should know i should have seen it i should i should have i should have i could have and you know what it's not fair when somebody else says that to me oh my gosh now if somebody says to me well sajel you're a therapist you should know i'm like hell i'm a therapist from this time to this time and right now i'm just me and i'm allowed to feel what i'm feeling right yeah. um so and but then because you as a therapist you are a third person for some people who come to you as yeah. a patient but you as a first person who are dealing with this, you can Absolutely. see so many things. Like I can see for my clients what's happening to her. But my client, let's say she has a lot of trauma inside. She needs, she doesn't have time to think about it. She is very involved with her, with her issues and she can't discover to there. You know, but it's not even just about the discovery piece why can't we allow ourselves to feel it you know we talk about emotions like anger sadness despair fear they're not bad they all serve a purpose and a function and what if we allowed ourselves to listen to what it is that it, they're trying to tell us what the purpose behind feeling them are it just changes the whole experience and self-compassion was the game-changing piece for me because what it did was it gave me that much room to say i don't need to have it all figured out i don't need to be strong i am sad because my marriage has been hard and i'm hurt because things have happened and things have been said and i'm lonely because nobody knows what i'm going through and allowing myself to feel it to process it, to understand it, then allowed me to move forward and move forward in a way where I wasn't resentful and I wasn't angry because I was allowed to heal. I gave myself that permission to feel it and heal it. And so then I was able to then be there better for my children and for my husband with a new kind of patience with a new kind of perspective and ability to recognize when do I need space? When do I have the capacity and to respect and listen to my body and my mind and to soothe my spirit when I needed to. 
Exactly. I like what, what you mentioned about self-compassion and uh, what uh, you need to process your PTSD. And I'm not saying only PTSD. You need to process where you are. It's because pain. Exactly. It's about pain. Exactly. Yeah. And you shouldn't deny because mm. we are not we are not superhuman. We are all human. We all have sadness. We have sa- happiness. We have happy and sad moments. That's what I say. Like, because I believe PTSD, I'm a fertility coach as well. So I believe PTSD can, um, can cause a lot of chronic disease, uh, including fertility. Mm-hmm. So whoever comes to me as a client, I tell her, do you have any mental problem or do you have any childhood trauma? First of all, they all deny it, you know, but when you dig into it, you see uh, they have a lot of rejection in their life. There are some points of their life that they, they thought they are not loved. They, they, um, they were separated from themselves. They, they thought that they, are, they don't belong to, uh, to that place or that environment. So these pieces, when you put them together, they are accumulated and they create a lot of problem, not only mental problem, but physical problem. Well, just think about the way we process emotions. Think about a time and I, Pente, I'm going to ask you and I'm going to ask the audience, close your eyes for a second and, and think about a time where you were angry, really, really angry. So just take a moment and take yourself there. Close your eyes and just think about it. Think about where you were, what you were angry at, who you were angry at, what you were thinking. And then all of a sudden, figure out where does anger show up in your body? Is your heart starting to race? Are you getting hot? Do you feel it in your stomach? Is your head starting to swell, like get hard and uh, heated? You know, is your temperature rising? Are you shaking? So emotions, although they're psychological, create a physical effect in our bodies. Exactly, exactly. There is a relationship. And so we can... Okay, go ahead. So I was going to say, so we can also use that knowledge to reverse the reaction. So if you recognize that anger is about your heart picking up the pace and you getting really tense, all of a sudden, if you take, no matter how angry you are, if you angry you are, if you breathe, slow your breath down, and breathe really slowly and calmly. It doesn't matter how angry you are. Eventually, your body releases and the emotion then starts to shift because now your body is signaling to your brain, I'm not feeling angry anymore. That was amazing. Right? So the communication works both ways. And, And this is what I'm talking about. We can build skill sets to manage what we experience and how we feel. You know? You know, Sajal, that was amazing uh, example. I have it in my book as well. I have in PTSD, um, clinical PTSD, what they do for recovery, it takes time. You get to release mode. Mm-hmm. 
right? It takes time because you are in fight and flight mode and you have a lot of uh, challenges. But so you have to be in a safe place. Uh, and uh, that's why you know, it takes time to be there. But I talk about it and I said, if you reverse engineer where the release mode is and you feel that release mode, so you don't need to go to all way to release mode. You, so you are there already. That's exactly what you say. Like when you, uh, when you feel angry, look at the um, behavior that you get from anger. Emotion creates some behavior from the anger and how you can reverse those behavior when you're angry affect your anger decreases. So that's a really good example for PTSD. As you said, you are a lots of fast tracking way that you can improve I'm not saying that you remove it because it takes time, but you can improve and you can find some technique that uh, you feel safer, you feel um, much uh, relieved to confront with three years. Yeah, absolutely. And And for me, when I'm working with clients, what I'm trying to get them to connect with is their emotions. I want you to create an, a relationship with each emotion, whether it's happiness or whether it's sadness, whether it's anger or whether it's joy. Like it, I want you to experience all of it, get familiar with all of it, get to know them because when you get to know them, you get to understand them better and then be able to respond versus just reacting. And that's the biggest difference because when we feel more capable, more competent with dealing with our emotions, we feel like we have more control and then we're able to deal with the situations and experience them in a different way. Exactly, exactly. We have uh, some comments. They said, um, do you interact with your chat? I mean, if you have any question, please do um, because we have a few seconds. If you have, she's here and we can talk about your issue or if you have any question, we are here to answer. So uh, do you have any recommendation for this pandemic? How can we uh, make it easier for us? <laughs> to what we can, honestly, yeah. the, 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 the biggest advice that I've been trying to remind people about or suggestion actually is remember to give yourself as well as those that you live in close quarters to, because we've been living together very closely uh, if we've been living with our families, is to give each other the permission to be human. Expect that things are going to irritate you. Expect that we're not going to get everything right. And give ourselves the latitude to have those mistakes, to have that uh, frustration or whatever it is. Because when we can become a little bit more patient, a little bit more kind with ourselves, it opens our capacity to be that much more patient and kind with the others around us. So right now, while we're in close proximity and not being able to go out and get the regular distractions that we normally do or the 
outlets that we normally have is to create as much patience and kindness within the environments that you're in. And it starts with yourself. So if you do need space, take it, whether it's to go for a walk, whether it's to go upstairs somewhere to find some space, physical or even psychological, close your eyes, put on your headphones, listen to something you love. It, honestly, sometimes it's just the littlest things we do that make the biggest difference. So right now, the pandemic is something we're all going through. It's a shared experience. And the best thing we can do is to be kind with ourselves and to kind with others. Have patience when you're out there, whether it's your grocery shopping or just driving in traffic. You know, let's not be so abrupt because we don't know what the other person is going through right now. And they don't know what you're going through. Exactly. So if someone, you know, is short with you, be kind back. And if you don't have the reserves to be kind, say and do nothing. Yes, you know, especially this space, uh, uh, for this space, um, kids really need it. Because <laughs> they used to go and play. They used to be out right now. They are in front of computer. This They are not designed to be in front of computer forever because <laughs> they have yeah. to do that homework you know that's so that's so difficult <laughs> well you know i yeah. i'm 46 years old and i just learned how to play backgammon and my kids taught me and so we've been trying a lot of new and different things and they're not big expensive significant things it's playing backgammon and learning sudoku and doing it together um the other day i woke up on the weekend and i was just craving to go out but there's nowhere to go we're in lockdown and so i said never mind what can we do we drive throughs are open so i told the kids get dressed we're going on an adventure and they said where mom we can't do anything. And I said, get in the car. We are going to go to every drive through any drive through you want. Everybody just get something you want. And so that, that was a call to drive through adventure. And we did. And we were out for two and a half hours chatting, listening to music, uh, picked up a shake here, a coffee there, you know, and, and it was really great. We had a great time. And we are very lucky to live in toronto i guess <laughs> we have especially in um, north north of toronto we have a lot of green spaces and yes. especially now the, the weather is much better sometimes we just go and walk yes and that's it that's what do you expect so you know you have to find a way anyway to get the distraction even as a family member everybody needs to have some space like what I'm doing right now is a distraction because get I have to get back to house uh, houseworks and <laughs> doing taking care of my baby, and this is good for me because it gives me a lot of um, self caring. Um, with other people, I have a social life this way, mm -hmm. and uh, I, I can build my confidence and my career life. So everybody have to find. And uh, somehow to interact with others, because the worst thing is when you lose your connection. That's 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 feel lonely. So if you need to connect with your family, connect with your friend, do it, even virtually. <laughs> Still, <works. laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. 
Thank you so much. I really enjoyed. That was really exceptional talk. And uh, thank you for all the recommendation about the triggers, how we can manage our PTSD with the loved one in the family. And I really, really wish you a lot of luck for what you're doing, which is great, especially during the pandemic. You're doing a lot of support and help for others. That's amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you.